Hello and welcome to BSI and to today's webinar, Opportunities in a Changing World, a Green Recovery. My name is Charlotte Brodie. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI, and I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Townsend, our Global Head of Sustainability and Circular Economy. And in his career to date, Martin has worked as an environmental regulator, advised ministers, worked with city mayors and businesses across the world of all sizes and from all sectors to ensure sustainability comes alive and is an enabler of business success. Martin has been a keynote speaker at many international conferences to ensure that as a global community, we accelerate the rate of change whilst reducing the impact that we have. And Martin joined BSI in November of 2019 and he also sits on several advisory boards for public and private sector organisations to support them in their success. So thank you, Martin, for joining us here today. And I'm really looking forward to today's session. So moving on to explain a little bit about BSI. Our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. and We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardising business processes products and services to enable advancement. We are independent and free from any outside influence as all our profit is reinvested back into BSI to help us to continue to support and drive further change. Moving on, I would like quickly just to recap on our focus areas and the structure of the built environment sector and how we help. This slide captures our mission and includes a simple graphic showing how we support clients across the entire breadth of the built environment asset lifecycle. And we are focusing on four key areas where clients may be facing challenges and where we are able to help. Digital transformation, regulatory and health and safety, sustainability that we are covering in our topic today, and supply chain and procurement. I'm now going to hand over to Martin to start the webinar and discuss the opportunities that a green recovery can bring for businesses in the built environment. Thank you, Charlotte, and uh, thank you all for joining us here today. Um, I'm really looking forward to this webinar um, because I think the industry is going through uh, a great amount of change at the moment. So um, in the next 45 minutes, I really want to kind of just share with you what that change looks like and, and obviously in a post-COVID world, uh, what things um, from my own perspective I think will um, get accelerated, what things might change um, and just to really start that conversation with you because um, and I really do want to make this a conversation so on the um, opening slide, the one in front of you now, uh, you can see my email address because um, from a webinar perspective um, it's great um, sharing experiences and sharing ideas but I actually think at the moment for the industry to really come alive and to actually seize the opportunities we need to not make this a monologue but make this a conversation so I'm looking forward to kind of talking to many of you hopefully after this webinar in terms of sharing ideas also um, at the end um, hopefully if I run true to time which I, I will do uh, we've got some time for some questions so as we go along as Charlotte's mentioned please feel free to just um, add some ideas or add any questions to the chat box at the end, I will uh, endeavour to answer them uh, as best I can. It's always good uh, when we start a webinar just to kind of try and summarise um, what the key learning objectives are, I suppose, uh, for the next 45 minutes. I want, I want to look at what's going on through 
the lens, I suppose, of the trends around sustainability resilience uh, for the built environment. And I want to counter quite quickly through technology and materials, strategy, people, um, and the sort of regulation and policy. Seeing that both from a practical application, so I'll try and sort of pepper throughout the, the, um, the webinar examples of things going on, but also from a policy perspective as well. And just to reinforce the point about there's so much going on that it would be wrong of me to say I'm going to cover every single aspect of the built environment in the next 45 minutes. This is one of a series um, of conversations that I want to have with you, um, our listener. The next one's on the 29th of September when uh, we'll be drilling um, a bit further down into things like circularity and how the circular economy is a fundamental part of, of what we're seeing in terms of change within the industry. So where to start? So um, I've been working uh, in the construction and sustainability space for most of my working career. Um, and I think it's worthwhile um, just to remind ourselves the impact it has. Um, even if you're not directly involved in the built environment, um, uh, the way it works impacts on us as individuals. So um, we are sort of, you know, impacted by where we live, what transport, what infrastructure we rely on, the way we run our lives in terms of the energy we consume, the water we consume. And that built environment is growing daily. Um, some of the statistics that um, I kind of brought together as part of this webinar are quite, uh, quite amazing when you start to contextualize the rate of change in the built environment, not just in terms of the processes, but the growth of our built environment. 200,000 people per day across the world are now needing new homes, new services. That has a massive impact. Um, and I want to kind of really sort of start to understand what that impact is and how we can start to uh, influence it, change it and become more efficient. So the built environment is fundamental to our lives. Um, we live in it, we work in it, uh, we, are, we are dependent upon its resources um, and we impact um, the, um, the natural environment and the society in terms of the developments that we undertake. It's worthwhile just kind of seeing those trends and in a little bit more detail and just kind of just to talk through some of those bullet points that you've got on your screen. So um, if we think about um, the reason why the built environment is increasing sort of daily to such a magnitude, it is because of demographics. We have an aging population. So when we think about the design of our buildings, the design of our communities, you know, how we actually get from a building to uh, a neighborhood, how we make that work, we need to think about um, aging populations. So if we think about some of the trends in that space, um, if we think about things like dementia, how do we build in good design at the start of a process? How do we make sure that we are future-proofing our buildings when we design them? How do we make sure that we really understand that relationship? Um, we also need to be very mindful, I suppose, that uh, the built environment, the construction industry um, is the biggest user of raw natural materials. How do we make sure that we are being more efficient uh, in that space? How do we use the principles of circularity in good design to make sure that we can disassemble some of the components? And in that same space, um, we're making our buildings more efficient. Um, and in making our buildings more efficient, sometimes depending on the climate 
within which you live. You might be putting uh, shiny silver-backed insulation on the walls, which is great for thermal efficiency. But what does it mean in terms of connectivity, in terms of mobile connectivity, Wi-Fi connectivity? Because the decisions we make in one respect of the built environment will impact on another. And in a post-COVID world, as it was, I suppose, before COVID, how do we make sure that we're being efficient? How do we do more for less? And those efficiencies, I think, are fundamental in terms of making sure we make the right decisions. So many of the trends affecting the built environment are challenges for us as professionals in our particular fields to really uh, try and address. And a quote here, um, which sometimes um, as professionals, I think we forget that when we um, construct our buildings, um, afterwards they have a massive impact upon the community, upon the occupiers, upon the people who will then use those spaces. I think Winston Churchill, for me, really summarised it well in terms of that quote on the screen. But just to play to where we are in terms of getting our thoughts together, it puts a massive amount of stresses and strain upon environment and our, you know, our needs of a space. So if we look at the sort of the, the stresses that we are trying to achieve, for instance, zero carbon, how do we make sure that we create buildings that, you know, sometimes are energy positive or putting energy back into the grid, the use of advanced materials, making sure that we've got energy storage as part of a local micro network, for instance. How do we ensure that we create buildings that are adaptable? Um, if we think about our uh, a building that we might be constructing in the moment, we might design it as an office building, but actually in its life, it might actually move from an office building to a residential space. How do we ensure that the design of that structure allows us to adapt that space? We don't want to take a decision to knock a building down because it can't be adapted. Um, and think about all that embedded um, carbon that's actually in that process. How do we make sure that we make the most of our buildings uh, for their service life in that same space i think we're becoming much more conscious now that buildings affect us as human beings there is a um, a great amount of um, work that's being done by academia showing the relationship between productivity and well-being and the impacts of things like air quality or circadian lighting how do we make sure that we're creating great spaces that aren't just there to shelter us or to provide accommodation, but actually make us healthy and make us feel good about that space? And as we um, look at more urban living, it makes us appreciate as well things such as um, sound insulation. You know, if we're going to be living closer together in urban areas, you know, Different people within a um, multi-tented space will have different living patterns, different working patterns. How do we make sure that everybody can live closely together, has access to a quality environment that doesn't affect uh, how they might sleep or work um, in terms of making sure we create the right environment? So those challenges, I think, are really immense for us um, when it comes to built environment. And then some of the strains upon us, we're seeing uh, more natural disasters over the last couple of decades than we've seen for a long time. Floods, droughts, uh, bushfires. You know, how do we make sure that we really are designing our buildings to be resilient and, and taking account of a changing environment? How do we create an industry that attracts the right talent? You know, when we look at the uh, construction industry, it has um, 
quite a transient workforce. How do we make sure that when people go to university that they really want to work uh, in construction because it is the interesting place to work and at the same time minimise the impact of materials, making sure that we reduce the carbon emissions from our buildings. So the stresses and strains, the way that we build our buildings and the way they shape our lives, I think uh, is fundamental to our success. But let's pause for a second, I suppose, and just remind ourselves about Brundtland. Um, back in 1997, um, Brundtland commissioned captured the definition of sustainability. And I just wanted to just dwell on it for a second, just to remind ourselves that the decisions we make um, and the resources we use, we need to do it in a way that doesn't compromise the ability for future generations and their needs. If we can actually create great communities and create great buildings and use and devise new components to sit in buildings that are more efficient, uh, we will achieve uh, that objective. From a, a BSI perspective, um, I always like to remind people, because I get frustrated if I don't, that sustainable businesses are ones that generate profit. How they use that profit um, is a conversation and probably a subject of a separate webinar, but making sure that organisations are successful from a commercial perspective, whilst continually improving the impact um, in terms of societal needs or environmental conditions. Because if we can make sure that we see um, the conversation about profit and society and environment going hand in hand, we're in a good place. The part of the conversation I think that frustrates me a lot is when people see sustainability as an add-on to the way that we construct, to the way that we look at communities, to the way we think about designing our spaces. Because for me, it is a philosophy, it's a way of working, which means that our products and our services and how a company operates is just more efficient, more effective, more sensitive in terms of the changes we might see. Um, so I just wanted to share that, that definition with you. From a BSI perspective, um, I wanted to drill a little bit deeper because I think there's something quite beautiful about the work we do. Um, it is about um, taking, if you look at that diagram in front of you, the bottom right hand corner, about taking industry knowledge, taking the science, taking uh, those committee members, those committee chairs, taking that information, capturing it in a way that helps the industry to improve. Because if we can help the industry improve by sharing best practice and knowledge in a way that really catalyzes progress, that's a positive space to be. And in doing that, it is very much about making sure that we create good governance structures, making sure that we have governance at the heart of a transparency that um, supports shareholders and stakeholders. Um, and then picking up the point I've just made about making sure that economic success is part of that picture. And if we move to the northern part of that diagram, uh, the outcomes that we look to achieve is to reduce the impact we have uh, on the environment, to make sure that we live within environmental limits, making sure that we create a healthy and just society. So that the cornerstones, the five cornerstones of BSI, I think, are captured on that slide. So I've now been speaking to you for um, 10 minutes or so. I just want to take a pause, gives me a chance to have a sip of water, but also just to get your views, because going back to where I started, I don't want this to be a monologue. I want us to listen to the things that, and the challenges you're facing. So from your organisational perspective, 
um, what are the things that are driving you to sort of be here today and to support your business to improve? Thank you, Martin. So here is our um, poll and uh, we have a question for you if you would like to take part. Um, as mentioned earlier, this is anonymous in session. So if you are able to share with us what is the main pull for sustainability in your organisation, um, we would love to know uh, whether it's uh, commercial gain, um, whether it's about building uh, sustainability and resilience, um, are there uh, clients that are making particular demands on what you deliver for them? Um, is it about differentiation? Are you looking for that extra edge to make your organisation stand out from your competitors? Or is it around uh, efficiency and driving those, those efficiency gains that uh, could potentially be had? So um, if you are able to have a think about that, um, we would love to know and uh, also to say that uh, just to, to reiterate that today's recording will be uh, made available after the session. So if um, if any colleagues you think might be interested in uh, in listening to Martin's presentation, then look out for it. It'll be coming out to you by email um, and uh, we would love for you to uh, to share and uh, and also to take uh, take part. So yes, five five options there for you to um, choose from. Um, really looking forward to seeing what people have to say. And uh, yes, I think we will now um, ask for those results to be launched. Okay, so for our audience, thank you everybody for for taking part. And um, the 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 answer which has come out top um, that you've chosen is around resilience. So 55% of you have said resilience is, is the key. Um, and the next one down is client demands, or sorry, no, efficiency. Efficiency is the next one. Then we have client demands at 14%, uh, differentiation at 10%, and commercial gain is 3%. So thank you very much for that. Um, Martin, I'll now hand back to you. Um, and if you'd like to uh, comment on that, any thoughts on that, that would be lovely. That's brilliant, thank you. Um, that's a really interesting reflection actually, because um, I think what's interesting for me is that conversation about um, what does sustainability mean and how do we make sure that businesses that are driving sustainability are commercially successful now? I wasn't aware of how you were going to vote, but when I was reflecting last night when I was putting these slides together, uh, I wanted to kind of put this slide in because I was hoping that you would vote for sustainability and resilience to be your your number one goal. But actually, in many respects, um, being a highly sustainable organisation in what you do, I think embraces many of the others. So if you are an organization that is innovating, if you are an organization that is thinking about your staff and your client and how you want to improve, and I can cover this later on, you will be successful. And the, and the graph that you can see in front of you is, is a data set from Harvard. There are other data sets from Maastricht and many other organizations. But the reason I like this one in particular is it has a nice long data series. And if you look back to the 1990s, you know, businesses were, who were driving sustainability and those that had low sustainability were almost sort of neck and neck. Over time, 
I think this transparency, I think this awareness that um, putting in right the right processes, innovating and making sure companies continually improve and the impact they have are seen basically makes them more successful. And, and uh, I think the study is about um, what happens to a dollar invested. Uh, if you are a highly sustainable organization, does it um, yield a better return? And I think the data series shows that it does. So thank you for voting as you did. Um, in terms of looking forward, and I think it is important that we look forward, um, there's a great piece of work done by the World Economic Forum um, where they go out every year and they survey a um, number of chief executives and senior leaders um, and ask them the, the question about you know, what are the things that are keeping them awake at night. And if we look at that report, I think it was produced in about November 2019, some of the challenges and some of the things that we can have an impact on uh, are up there in terms of the issues that need to be taken account of. And if we go back to some of the earlier um, PowerPoint slides that I shared with you, um, we have an impact on those in terms of making sure our buildings are more resilient, making sure that we minimize the impact in terms of climate change and carbon emissions. And come back to that point about things like uh, a lack of water, water crisis, as I think it was uh, phrased in the, uh, the World Economic Forum report. Um, we need to think about efficiency in that space and how we make sure that our buildings and our communities really are much more sensitive. And that comes down to the ecology and how we might plant out. It comes down to the water fittings and the monitoring and leakage detection. Um, all those elements, I think, are fundamental to make sure that uh, we're creating buildings which um, are sensitive to those issues and uh, minimize the impact. I'm, I'm mindful um, that I've been speaking now for sort of 20 minutes and it's it might be seen to be a little bit negative so I want to kind of like flip this a little bit and just take some reflection points because um, when I've been out and about pre-COVID and when I've been speaking to people at home via Zoom and via uh, go to webinars etc etc uh, there is an amazing amount of change going on in the industry and I want to just reflect that here. Um, if we look at um, modular uh, construction, off-site construction, how that is really changing the way we think about buildings. So going back to uh, an earlier comment about resource efficiency, how can we make components um, more efficient by creating them in a factory type environment? Uh, powerful processes when you start to see them. Uh, large number of organisations are investing in that. It has a different skill set. Um, in terms of how we're going to build into the future. Uh, we're seeing lots of different uh, building materials now coming to the sector, and not just materials, but actually uh, whole components. I mean, a good example um, is we're starting to see things such as technology jumps from the automotive industry into the built environment. You will find Tesla batteries uh, part of an energy storage system within domestic properties now. So I think when we talk about how the industry is changing, it isn't just about the sector, it is about the interplay between various sectors and how that sharing of technology and making sure that we see a good return in terms of any research that's been undertaken, I think is, is fairly fundamental. And other sort of things which I think are becoming quite exciting is the whole connected assets, um, big data, predictive uh, analytics, the sort of the AI component of the built environment. Uh, I, I'm impressed almost every day 
when I uh, talk to companies about the work they're doing in terms of using data to understand the true performance of buildings. So one of the big issues I think um, going forward is the performance gap. You know, what are we designing and uh, are we designing in the right way in terms of how, how people will use that space? And uh, in that same kind of sort of use of data, uh, real-time collaboration, you know, in a building project, and I'll, I'll cover this later on, there are immense amount of people involved in that process. How do we ensure that we use data and use the right platforms to collaborate in a much more effective way? Um, when I started my working career in construction, we used to sit together in large rooms. Now we sort of sit in, sit in virtual spaces and how do we make sure that we're really using that information to, to best effect? So there's some great challenges, but there are some great opportunities and some great solutions out there at the moment. And this kind of reinforces this point, I suppose, to some extent that um, we've talked about individual leadership. You know, that might be from a government perspective in terms of ensuring the right policies are promoted to drive um, uh, the more effective use of resources around the built environment. It might be about an individual leader within an organization. But as we start to see sustainability in the built environment to be business as usual about business performance uh, the big opportunity there is collaboration collaboration within a business between businesses um, and this is something which is very close to my heart very close to bsi's heart um, back in i think it was about 2010 we produced a standard called uh, 11k which was all about collaboration how do you drive that collaboration within the industry uh, since that time, ISERV now turned it into an international standard. Um, but the ideas within that standard are one and the same, and it comes back to the power of actually creating ideas and sharing ideas. How do we make sure that standards are part of that process to accelerate our learning? <clears throat> but um, we have challenges. You know, the, the industry, the construction industry, is shaped by a number of unique features that I don't think you see in other sectors. Um, and so we, we have an uh, immense amount of um, stakeholders within the construction process. It doesn't matter whether you're building a small building, a large building, a community, um, you're remodeling a city. Um, multiple stakeholders with different needs make the process complicated. Um, I've talked about um, on-site construction. I've talked about off-site construction. Most of our projects across the world are still on site. Uh, they are on a project by project basis. Um, we're seeing change in that space, you know, but we need to see more, more change, I suppose. Um, the industry is fragmented. You know, um, when you start to look at those stakeholders and their needs and the industry and how it works, it's a fragmented industry. Um, the profits, the margins are incredibly low. We've seen this. Uh, Pre-COVID, uh, we, we will see it as we sort of come out the other side that because the margins are low, um, that actually companies sometimes fail because of uh, a single bad project. So that becomes a, a very unstable sort of industry. And as we talked before, um, when we look at the sort of the way that the industry operates, there's some big issues here in terms of actual versus um, design performance gap. There are issues around complexity of contracts. Uh, clients sometimes are quite conservative. How do we innovate um, if we've got a client that is quite conservative in terms of their needs? Um, 
those characteristics, I think, define the industry. And as we think about moving forward, we really do need to start to challenge some of those problems and find new solutions. And there is in this space, I suppose, quite an interesting um, sort of industrial revolution going on, because I think when you start to look back in time and you start to look at the, um, the, the, the changes we've seen across industries, I think we're going through that sort of that, that next industrial revolution where we are talking about connected assets. We are talking about uh, greater integration in terms of how uh, buildings and smart assets work. And I think in many respects, uh, what we're seeing, um, the solutions to, to, to the problems in terms of some of the things we've already sort of um, captured. So let's, um, let's drill a little bit deeper. Um, I'm saying I wanted to go from the sort of the tactical and the strategic right down to some of the detail. Um, when we look at digital, digital technology as applied to the built environment, I think there are uh, great opportunities and those are actually being realized by many people in this space. Um, big data and analytics are powerful solutions for efficiency. Uh, I was on a construction project just before uh, lockdown where uh, I was being walked around and with the use of a mobile device and a headset, um, you could look at a wall and you could see what services were behind that wall, what, what materials were used. And so as a uh, fairly fast turnaround refurbishment was taking place, you had complete confidence in terms of uh, what was being used uh, was similar to the materials that were in the original construction. You knew where the services were so that you had confidence that when you took down a part of a wall as part of a, an extension or refurbishment, you didn't have to worry too much because you knew uh, where those services are. Um, we're going to talk, or I'm going to talk a little bit in a minute about BIMs. So I'm going to um, move across that. Um, this whole space about connectivity and tracking, uh, I think, becomes fascinating when we start to think about blockchain and how it applies to uh, the built environment, that connectivity to understand um, how um, we can optimize our products and our services. And I'll, I'll give you an example, I suppose, in that space. Um, I was working with a company a while ago where we were looking at how we can turn things such as um, um, water tightness in terms of providing roofing covers into a service. So how do you embed chips within roofing membranes to understand that um, you, the better service to provide to a client isn't about selling product. If you sell them a service of water tightness and you monitor how effective your service is, uh, and when things start to fail, when you start to see moisture below a membrane, you can go in and you can fix it. And from that process, you can learn. You can learn about the installer. Uh, have they done a good job in terms of how they've applied your roofing solution? Uh, you can learn about your product. You know, is it um, meeting its service life? Um, and that becomes much more effective because when that product comes to an end, because you know its shelf life, you know its components, you know what batch of material was used to create it, you can reuse it. This, this conversation about moving from a linear economy of extract and use and dispose to a more circularity principle, I think becomes um, really important. So that connectivity and that embedding sensors becomes important. 
And if we kind of look at that embedding sensors in a different way, just to kind of get you to think a little bit more, I suppose, um, if you think about uh, an office environment, a commercial space, uh, if we uh, ensure that we have sensors within a building, we can think about daylighting levels, we can think about uh, making sure the air quality is right, to make sure that um, when that space is being cleaned, that actually the sensors are giving us the results that we need. There is um, a great relationship now between um, how we operate in our buildings, and what it means to us in terms of our psychology and our physiology, and actually using technologies to make sure we really understand how we individually operate, I think is powerful. Um, and there are some, some great examples of how organisations are, are doing that. Um, and there again, um, it's a subject close to my heart, but I don't have time to always unpack it. Um, just kind of drilling down, I suppose, um, uh, into the conversation about BIM, because it is um, a fascinating area. Uh, I had a whole um, series of slides I was going to include here, but uh, mindful of time and, and, and uh, what I can cover in the time available. I just wanted to put a really simple one, um, I suppose, in the slide deck and just kind of almost say to you that we are only really scratching the surface when it comes to the use of BIM. Uh, I've been involved in many, many conversations about digital twins and data ownership. And I think we're still really only just starting to understand how we uh, use BIM to best effect to make sure that we have uh, consistent data libraries. We're all naming the same things in the same way. We're using it as a tool for tendering, making sure that we can really use it to best effect. But when you think about it and what the potential is of the use of uh, BIM as a tool, um, it is far, far um well, I suppose deeper reaching than we are basically allowing it to be at the moment. If we think about a common data model that can sit below BIM or as part of that architecture in terms of how we structure our data, uh, we can take the design calculations, we can take the design energy modeling uh, work as part of that process. And as the building becomes occupied, we can start to think about how we can remodel based on real data, real occupancy rates. How do we make sure that we are constantly rerunning some of the algorithms that we created with our design model and making sure that we really understand what true performance looks like? So it almost comes back to something I touched upon uh, early on in this, this presentation, which is uh, the performance gap. How do we make sure that design versus actual and actually we understand um, how we can make sure we, we close that performance gap? Uh, is a fundamental part of the use of our data and the use of the technology such as BIM. Um, it is a powerful tool that I think some organisations have realised and when you start to look at some of the major players within our uh, with our industry, some organisations now are using it um, um, and some professions in some respects are um, no longer sort of needed as part of that process because we're using um, BIM to, to great effect. Um, and in that same kind of um, part of this conversation, I suppose, um, when we think about um, the design phases of our built environment, if we're going to think about our ability to change and the cost of change and where our best interventions are, uh, they are at the front end of the process. 
if we can use that data much more effectively to make sure we make good decisions from a planning and design perspective, uh, the rewards are much greater. Uh, the ability to have a greater impact, uh, the cost implications of that variation are much, much smaller. Uh, on many construction projects that um, I've been involved in, we leave those changes too late in the process. The cost becomes great and the ability to make those changes becomes small. So when we start to use all of this technology, when we start to think about efficiency, um, that virtual space that we can create, that use of the data, that experience we have from project to project, we really need to use that um, in the start of the process, not at the tail end of the process. And this one, I was looking at this diagram, it looks, it looks incredibly complicated, lots of circles uh, on that diagram, but I suppose it's a really simple message that um, I want to communicate here, which is sometimes because of the fragmentation of the industry, because of the complexity and the contracts and all the things that we already talked about uh, within our sector, we don't always think about the life cycle of the asset. We've talked a little bit today about making sure that we create spaces that are adaptable, but we also need to make sure that when we think about um, the, the nature of the asset, how do we make sure that we think about circularity? How do we understand the durability or the service life of the component? How do we make sure that um, if there's a part of a building that has a short life because it has an architectural quality to it, it might be the external fascia or the cladding or whatever it might be, how do we make sure that it's easy to either repair or replace? And if we are um, replacing it, um, how do we make sure there might be a secondary use for it? How do we make sure that we think about that durability? So but the point here that I suppose I'm, I'm sharing in this slide is let's think about the life cycle of the asset. Let's think about how do we get greater circularity into that process? Um, when you look at best practice across the world, there's some great work going on in a number of countries now where uh, buildings, new buildings are being paired with old buildings. And so uh, policies are being implemented where a percentage, sometimes 25% of an old asset needs to become a component of a new asset. It can become an architectural feature. It can become the crushed concrete that forms the, um, you know, the sub-base for roads. It can become lots of different things. It can become, you know, components in a building because it's still within its, its service life. We need to make sure that we're creating new markets to make sure that we are reducing uh, that demand on raw resources. So going back to one of the earliest slides, um, you know, the construction industry is a major draw on natural resources. How do we make sure that we use those resources wisely by thinking more about circularity than, than linear economies? Um, at the start of the presentation, I, I, I talked a little bit about culture. Um, so I wanted to just spend a moment just to kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, probably don't have all the answers, um, but certainly wanted to kind of lay bare, I suppose, some of the challenges I think we're facing as an industry. Um, there are lots of issues within a project around transparency. Uh, I had a great conversation, um, I think it was in January of uh, this year, where we were talking about projects should have open book, transparent reporting. So everybody within that project structure shares the risk, but also shares the benefit. Uh, making sure that there is 
a clear charter within a project culture in terms of what are the goals and what are the client's needs, making sure that uh, early involvement in the tendering in the contractual process, um, making sure we don't always have a culture of uh, the cheapest project always win. There is um, a great initiative that's going on um, and I've been involved with a number of organisations around setting uh, project brief, project expectations and then reverse bidding to see, you know, can you achieve what I want, but actually with the lowest impact. So there's some great new initiatives going on um, to make sure that we achieve the goals of sustainability, but do it in an incredibly creative way. And in that process of change, we need to think about incentive mechanisms, um, but we also need to think also about um, when things go wrong, let's do it in a grown up way in terms of mediation and, and collaboration in terms of making decisions uh, rather than end up um, in a sort of face to face sort of legal uh, dispute about something. So uh, the maturing of the industry, I think, and finding solutions is about that transparency and having that sort of understanding of, of how a project is progressing and, and how it can be achieved. So I just want to kind of just spend uh, a few minutes as we kind of come to the last few minutes of this webinar uh, about just sort of um, sharing with you the BSI perspective in this space. I love this infographic because what it does so effectively for me is it just lays bare some of the standards that are available. It is a very, very small fraction but we're very good at um, understanding about the needs of the industry, providing solutions. They take the form sometimes of just guides. They're not assurance standards. They are just there to be published to help you understand about principles. Uh, sometimes they are assurance. So if you want to become more transparent and you want to have the confidence that you are achieving what you're saying you're achieving, you know, we can do carbon neutrality or uh, greenhouse gas emissions, um, energy management, etc. Um, and just picking up on that point, I suppose, um, one of the things which uh, is important in that conversation is standards, um, as well as being uh, either guides in terms of just helping you or in terms of specification, in terms of assurance, work at different levels across a business. So, you know, if you are working with the C-suite, if you're working with your executive team, there are great standards out there which basically just set down organisational principles which might help you shape your direction. There are um, standards out there which are about thematics in terms of environmental management, um, or there are more practical um, tools as well, such as the BIM Kite Mark, which are there to make sure that you can deliver things at a uh, practical level. Um, so when you think about how you drive change in your business, don't just look at standards as standards. They are uh, designed, they are created by experts. They're nurtured to make sure that they work at different levels within the business to, to help you uh, improve. Um, that then brings me to my last slide, um, um, which at the moment is my favourite slide of all, I think, because um, if we kind of play back the conversation we're just having, um, boy, is it complicated. There's a lot going on in this space around sustainability. There's a lot going on in terms of what does a sustainable business look like? And for me, I suppose, um, if we're going to ensure success, 
we need to break this down a little bit. We really do need to kind of make sure that we understand what are the components of a business that wants to succeed and wants to be successful. So um, I see uh, the six capital model as a great way of trying to rationalize that a little bit more. So we just take it um, for a few minutes, um, sort of in a one by one. How do we make sure from a social capital perspective that we're developing a sound relationship with our customers? So if you're working in domestic, how do we make sure that you are uh, ensuring that you're getting good feedback from your customers and you're, you're wowing them in terms of the service you provide? Uh, when it comes to human capital, our workforce, your workforce, how do you make sure that they are safe, that they are uh, you're looking after them in terms of diversity or capability in terms of training? How do you make sure that you've got that well and truly on your radar? And there again, you know, there are a large number of standards that sit under that human capital where uh, BSI can help you in terms of improving. Um, natural capital, we've talked about that a lot today. How do we make sure that we minimize uh, the impact we have on the environment? How do we make sure that what we're doing really is uh, reducing carbon emissions, becoming more water efficient? How do we make sure that that statistic of the construction industry being the biggest user of raw resources, uh, we minimize that time um, over time? And then, you know, if we are going to succeed uh, in this space, how do we make sure that businesses innovate? How do we make sure that we create new knowledge? Uh, if we go back to uh, one of the slides about, you know, the fourth industrial revolution that we are having at the moment, um, it's about making sure that we create new knowledge, we create new technology, we use it wisely to address some of the problems that the industry is facing. And in that same space, how do we make sure that we think about the manufactured capital in terms of the factories, the offices, the IT that we rely on to make sure that we are being successful in what we do. And then the last part for me, the financial capital, is about making sure that you as a company, as an industry, is investable. How do you ensure that it's about making sure that uh, green finance is at the heart of what you do? So for me, when we talk about success, I think um, organizations have six components of success. The work that we do is about supporting you and you can start anywhere in your journey in terms of what you want to do, what targets you want to set, but actually best practice and making sure that the right standards are out there to support you on that journey, I think is a fundamental part of that process. And at that point, um, I now hand back to Charlotte um, who is going to take you through, um, um, I suppose, the closing comments um, and obviously some Q&As. Hopefully some of you have been typing away as you've been hearing me talk uh, with some questions. So um, back to Charlotte. Thank you, Martin. And uh, thank you again. Really good insight. Lots of things to think about obviously a complex but uh, uh, great opportunities for people to really make a difference. So I have got a, a couple of questions in for you Martin which uh, I hope you'll be able to, um, uh, to answer. Um, in your experience with all your, your knowledge and your um, observations of, uh, of companies around the world, if you could make one recommendation about you know, driving sustainability, um, about, about what will be important, what would that be? 
Right. Good question. Um, shows that everybody's listening, doesn't it? To it when you get questions like that. Um, I actually think that one of the fundamental things that is important for the industry is collaboration. Um, when I sit in meetings, design meetings, construction meetings, when I go and talk to clients, that the the area where I think we need to improve more is the whole art of collaboration. And as I said earlier, um, we now have the technology, we now have um, you know some of the the things which were previously barriers um, um, resolved. And I actually think going forward, collaboration will be so important for the industry. Working out new business models, new ways of working, using data to to understand and how we can collaborate closer, I think will be fundamentally important for the success of the industry. And if I kind of think of of what this means in a sort of post-COVID world, I think we will see uh, businesses contracting. Uh, whereas before many consultancies, many companies were trying to do lots of things, I think they will focus themselves down to the things that they are good at doing. And the art of collaboration will be about growing themselves as successful um, by working with other organisations that have different areas of expertise. So if I look forward, I think collaboration and discussions both between clients and contractors or between landlords and tenants, between sort of, you know, designers and, you know, um, facilities managers, all of those types of collaboration are now in our grasp and fundamental to that, I think will be data to make sure that, you know, what is designed and what is delivered will be one and the same. So my my kind of call to people on the, um, uh, um, who are online who are listening is about, you know, facilitate that collaboration in a more active way. Absolutely. And I think you've, You've certainly touched on it um, around uh, BIM, obviously. The, the core um, principle around BIM is about uh, that, that collaboration and sharing of, uh, of information um, with that kind of same end goal in mind. And also ISO 44001, which is the international standard for collaborative working. So um, yes, collaboration is key and, and will continue to be, I, I guess. Uh, yes. particularly in this this situation that we find ourselves in um, and uh, a, a, another question in about um, what do you think uh, will be the biggest environmental challenge that uh, the built environment will face kind of I suppose now and you know in subsequent years wow. <laughs> God, these are good questions um, I think water so um, there's a lot of talk about carbon, but actually I'm starting to see some really, really good progress around carbon neutrality. Uh, I worked before joining BSI with city mayors to try and understand what carbon neutrality looks like at the city level. Lots of organizations are now making commitments around carbon neutrality. Um, but actually the one which is really the challenge which gets rarely talked about is water. Um, so sometimes we have too much so we have floods and sometimes we have too little and we have droughts but actually because a lot of us take water for granted not all of us but some of us take water for granted i think it is the risk that is rapidly coming up the agenda and we need to be uh, incredibly creative in terms of finding that solution because if we think about uh, things like desalination as a solution it is 
very energy intensive. It is very uh, damaging or potentially damaging in terms of um, how it operates. But actually, if we start to think about existing development to be the resource that we can use for new development, so we talk about retrofitting existing uh, commercial and domestic properties to provide the resource for new development, we can actually achieve a point where we um, get to around water neutrality. So we're building a new development. We're not placing any more demands on the environment because we've gone back to some of the development which might be inefficient in terms of its use. And as part of that new development, we've retrofitted it. So we've actually cross-subsidized old development uh, with new development to make sure that we are pulling um, inefficient resource into, back into supply. So I think there's some incredibly clever tricks we can play in this conversation, but we need to be creative. But it is part of the conversation that I think often gets forgotten about because it's either raining or it's flooding, but actually our water availability is something which is quite fragile. And you'll start to see it across the world where some countries are damming back rivers to hold the supply for their own needs, yet are not thinking about the water supply downstream and what impact that might have. So I'm I'm worried about water, if I'm honest, Charlotte. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've you've raised a really a really valid point about the value of it, the value yeah. of it. What does that really mean for us? And do we really understand its value? Um, so yes, uh, something to to think about and to consider as we as we move forward. And then I have a um, another question, which is um, again with your experience and observations of um, construction companies and buildings and infrastructure, you know, around the world. Have you seen uh, a sustainable approach done particularly well um, that you think uh, you, that you would like to share with our with our audience? Any any um, examples? Wow, God, these are really good questions. Um, I it's it's difficult to actually pick a single development, but I'm going to, I suppose. Um, but I'm going to just kind of phrase this in a way that makes us think a little bit. So some of the most sustainable developments are some of the oldest developments. So if I go back um, and look at some of the temples that were constructed in India from locally sourced material, uh, organic dyes and paints, um, using natural ventilation, using natural external shading to shade the building from overheating, some of those built centuries ago are probably more sustainable some of the buildings we're building today. So when we talk about sustainable buildings, when we talk about best practice, sometimes we need to go back to understand what good design is. And for us as professionals on this call, we need to keep on reminding ourselves, you know, using advanced technology sometimes um, masks the fact of bad design. But to answer your question directly, there is a building in Amsterdam called The Edge, which um, I love because what it did is it used new technology, but it used it in a very clever way. And it, it thinks, the building thinks about your needs and allocates desks based on your need, but also based on the optimum performance of the space. So if only a third of the workforce is in the building, it will close down floors. It will make sure that um, people find the right space they need for what they're doing that day. 
but actually whole floors are closed out. And so you don't need cleaners, you don't need to use resources, you don't need to service the coffee machines. Um, so you're, you're optimizing the building based on existing technology. And I think uh, as a kind of example of how technology can help us, that is a really good example. But I do make the plea that sometimes um, we need to look back at some of the designs of buildings that have actually been in our past to find the inspiration for the future. Absolutely. So basically learning and using all, all of that good knowledge wherever it comes from today or or previously. Brilliant. Well, that's that's fantastic. Thank you. And um, I think really we have uh, now reached the end of today's session. So moving on, um, I would uh, just like to bring to your attention um, that we are going to be running a few more webinars around um, other topics. Uh, Martin's already mentioned the circular economy and you know that general direction of, of travel. Um, I'm again very much looking forward to uh, inviting uh, Martin and obviously you, our guests, to uh, listen in and to learn a little bit more about that. Or please do invite other, other colleagues um, if you think that they would uh, be interested in hearing what uh, Martin has to say and uh, so all that remains now really is uh, I'd like to thank you Martin for presenting um, some great insight uh, thank you for our audience for asking uh, the questions and to conclude with our final message um, you know Martin has covered the trends the technology the culture the business models so many different things to think about but how they do really contribute to a sustainable business